Rob, welcome to episode 18 of I Understood That Reference. How are you, bud? Well, thanks for having me. I'm doing very well. Um, I'm sat here, nestled in my bedroom with a cup of tea and uh, some shortbread. Does that make me a bit of a prick? Perhaps. <laughs> That's what makes you the prick, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there, the, the factors that influence that you know, vary day to day, but today it's the shortbread and the tea. I'm gonna be honest, that sounds pretty good. I have a Sierra Nevada uh, in front of me, the pale ale, which is freaking delicious. So this is what you're saying to me, is this is a good beverage that you're enjoying. It's not one with a lot of scum at the bottom of the glass. Th- this one this one doesn't have any scum in the bottom of the glass, as, <laughs> as far as I know. Um, to clarify, I had a beer from Leash, my, my home county today. And when I got to the bottom of the glass, it was full of disgusting scum. Much like Rob is, clearly, from what he was saying earlier. <laughs> well played. <laughs> oh, I, well, I literally don't have an answer for that. I'm just going to have to just soak up that hit. You you take the hit. Um, I got a funny and interesting story I kind of want to share, which is well, because it's it, it kind of involves you in a way, in a roundabout way. Oh, of course. Of course it does. So I met my uncle today, who I hadn't met in quite a long time. Um, mm. And he is the guy who I, I guess would say my main influence for getting into comics because he really showed me a lot of them when I was young and told me about superheroes and really gave me lend event things and all that. So I kind of really took it up from him. So today yeah. I was talking to him and mentioned the podcast and he was saying how cool it is and how he might give it a listen. And look, hopefully he will. And he wasn't trying to placate his mouty nephew. And if you do, uh, it's great. And the most interesting part of this all is that, of course, his name is Robbie. Oh, how poetic. Full circles back to you, my friend. So listen, Ross, I've been meaning to tell you this, but um, I'm actually your uncle. Oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was the scum in the bottom of your glass. It was, it was me this whole time. In fact, I set up this podcast entirely just so that we can, I didn't know how else to tell you. So I figured I'd go down this elaborate over the top sort of route. This look, is the we, gotcha we moment. It. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Surprise, it's me. I mean, well played. If so, that was that's commitment to the cause. Yeah, it's definitely where you didn't recognize me earlier as well. That that is true. That is true. And um, one last thing, I guess I want to say then as well is that he has a book on Amazon called Dead Inside. It's Dead Inside by Robbie Robinson. Oh, he's definitely your uncle. <laughs> Check that out. Oh my goodness. I know, right? Dead Inside. Yeah, it's like hey, it's a zombie thing as well. Not the kind of one I'd write, to be fair. But I would call it Dead Inside. Right? Shall we move into our first game? Of the show, which of course is our world famous segment, Ross Fact, Rob Fact. I love. I took the biggest intake of breath, and then you just talked, and I was like, "I'm, I'm going to let him do this." <laughs> <laughs> just me going is of course, <gasps> and then you talked for a while. It's like excellent, excellent. Great. Well, I hope people know what it is because I just made a lot of noise. That, that is fair. Right, so um, last week, my fact was that David Bowie learned to juggle specifically for the film Labyrinth. <gasps> and this was absolutely <gasps> false. Oh, you son of a bitch. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. He actually had... He actually had a trained juggler this hide under his armpit <laughs> and do the moves for him. Hide under his armpit. <laughs> but like, I mean, under his armpit. We like, I mean, you need and everybody who listens. This is this little guy. He like, he like lifts up his arms. And this guy little just peeks his head out from. He's like, I'm, I'm David Bowie's armpit. It was a Jim Henson production. That would, that is the least trickful thing that you would see on set. In fairness, that's true. 
But check it out on YouTube. The videos are both hilarious and weird and unsettling. But it is yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, so mine, um, my fact was, so obviously yours is false, so mine is true this week. And my fact was that the Matrix Revolution is the final of the Matrix trilogy. Uh, the, 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 the final battle between Neo and Smith, the rain coming down in the climactic battle, certainly from a distance, there are actually lines of the Matrix code that they kind of hid amongst kind of the, the haze. Now, I know some people might contest that in the closer-up shots, there's like these CG rain bubbles that um, obviously are just droplets. They're not the ones we're talking about here. It's just, you know, the, the general blitz of rain. That's that, that's the reference there. But um, quite extraordinary level of detail. If somebody comes up and, and, and wants to clarify that the rain, there is certain bubbles in certain scenes. They can come can to me. Fuck off, you know? Yeah, that's dead right. <laughs> Get up them stairs, you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a game. And if you take it too seriously... You're you're in the wrong place. Absolutely, <laughs> especially the ones we use, which are hang up or whatever you whatever you do to, to stop listening to this yeah. thing. Skype off, you. That's a word. <laughs> it absolutely is. But yeah, so there's the two facts. I think those were two very very specific ones that seem to catch people off guard. Because do, do you have the stats? This was fifty fifty for like up until I don't know the last like two or three hours. Mm-hmm. So um, I did not see that coming. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it won by a measly 1%. Which, oh, like that they got it right. That they got it right. Which is freaking interesting. I think it's the closest one we've actually had. But mm. One wow. vote in the difference. That's pretty key. I'm telling you. That is pretty key, uh, right? We're, we're either asking the right or the wrong questions. I don't know which, but it's one of those. Or both. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe actually we're, we're slightly too tricky. So there was 41 votes... <laughs> Fifty-one percent. tricky. They're so specifically mischievous at this point that we're doing our best to catch people out. I mean, the conversation we just had before we started here is proof of that concept. <laughs> shh, shh. That's not. Jesus, don't. Jesus, don't. Don't go there. Don't pull the cover off, Ross. Don't reveal. Don't reveal the background. Um. Yeah. Don't give us. Don't give them that peek behind the curtain because yeah, there's not true. much there. Just, there's that, that's, that's just true. Just avoid yeah, of emptiness and no personality. Dead inside. Dead inside the sequel. No curtains. Okay, right. Let's move on from from, from that game to our next game. Another world famous one, which of course is the Great Reference Game. Oh, I liked liked that upturn, that inflection. That caught me off guard, I'm not going to lie. I was expecting an echo, but you're keeping me on my toes here. You crafty son of a bitch, I tell you. So this week, Rob, I am asking you the reference, and I particularly enjoy this one, if I'm going to be honest. I don't know why I enjoy it so much, but it, it's I'm very, very intrigued to see if you get it. Okay. I think it's one of those ones where if you get it, you'll probably get it right off the bat. Ah, oh, okay. So this sounds yeah. interesting. Well, listen, I'm, I'm sitting in wait. Off you go. It's long enough as well, so that's kind of helpful. Oh, that's absolutely what she said. Here we go. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, God, this sounds so bad after what you said. Anyway, uh, the quote is, it's the time. 16 months, you can get used to anything. You just lose track. I won't lose track again. Wow, yeah, so that that certainly hasn't jumped out at me initially, which doesn't bode well. I have a couple of two initially just sprung to mind based on the language, but it, not that it necessarily reminds me of anything. But I'll, I'm going to sit on this one, and hopefully I'm inspired down the road. Perfecting. Right, let's jump straight on into the news. Do you want to go first, Rob, or shall I? How did you kick us off there? Because I'm still dwelling on what I just heard. Fine. I'm going to be really, really, really quick with this because I talked about it before and my distaste for this kind of news. But we have to cover it, and I want to get your view really quickly. Rob, Sony 
and Disney have reached a deal and Spider-Man is back in back. the MCU for a while, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kel Supreze, I guess, is what we'll say to this. And also, you know, it's amazing. We don't review each other's notes, but this was also first to my list. Just literally the same logic. Let's just get this out of the way. The big ticket item. So three and four, they've announced. So they went from, he's not allowed back in the MCU to, yeah, here's two more movies he's definitely in, which is obviously hilarious. So like, he's going to get four movies. I, he'll be the first character. Like, he's probably going to be, is he going to beat Thor? No, he won't be. I guess Thor might be the first of the MCU heroes to get four movies. Which but, in itself is mad. But like, yeah, which is a lot. But he's going to, he's slated for four now. He'll be one of the few um, MCU heroes that will probably ever get that far. But I guess, you know, it's Spider-Man he sells. They obviously struck a deal. Um, John Watts, the director of the other two, is back for the third one at least. So I suppose that's, that is a good thing because he seems to have a good sense of the sort of personality that he's going for in these movies. And because he was taking it in a particular direction with the end of the last one. So it would have been... Insane to like shove some... Like the, the end of the last one was mad. Out of nowhere. Like one stroke of genius and one just like, oh my God, that's game changing for the story, for like the general story of the character. But... Can we just highlight how that, you know, recasting um, What's-His-Jaw um, as J. Jonah Jameson, his name always escapes me. But he was in yeah. the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies as J. Jonah Jameson. Yep. And of course he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in Whiplash. Yes, yes, his name escapes us. Oh, me too. Of course, of course it does. It always Everybody escapes knows who me he is. too. Like it- <laughs> <laughs> just call him J. Jonah Jameson and people will know. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, that was fun. But listen, Spider-Man's back. Um, was this always going to happen? Probably. This was 100% always going to happen. I wonder, in fact, was it just a slight publicity stunt? Because, look, we all knew this was going to happen. He was always going to come back. Venom, nobody gives a shit about Venom. Of course, it's not going to all of a sudden become the Venomverse, you know? I- <laughs> <laughs> the Venomverse, just as a note, J.K. Simmons, it just hit me. Oh, J.K. Simmons, there you go. I, I just had to get that out of my system. Uh, my my, my, my Sim, uh, Simmons system. The uh, Just let the one simmer for a while. <laughs> the, the Venomverse felt like, you know, like they were stretching and they were panicking and just saying, don't worry, Spider-Man is gone, but we've got this other great stuff lined up. <laughs> we've got this. We've got, oh God. Which actually we'll have to, we'll have to cut into that next, but... Are you happy that they've got Spider-Man back on track, first and foremost? Yeah, I am. Look, uh, it did seem like they're trying to hinge a lot of the universe on Spider-Man now. And I guess that's a good thing. Uh, I'm glad he's not gone, because that would have obviously... Continuity issues would have cropped up and things. But I have to admit, um, I am a little bit less intrigued by the current slate of Marvel movies than I was having for a while. I mean, Thor, Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, I'm looking forward to that. But... Outside of that, I'm not hugely stoked for anything, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm definitely intrigued by Eternals, because I have no idea what that's going to be like, and it's going to mega cast, and that looks like it could be pretty cool. You and I were really excited about Black Widow, and now it seems like they're they're going down a very safe route, potentially, so now I guess I'm less intrigued by that one. So, ugh, where's it going? I'm, I'm still kind of pumped. I, I, I like the idea of the Doctor Strange stuff, because that's always totally wacky. Yeah, Doctor uh, Strange, because I, I, I actually even watched the first one again recently, I'm like, yeah, you know what, that's actually a better film than I remembered. So that had def- has definite potential. But I guess because I didn't, again, on my comics background, The Eternals, I have no love or fondness or deja vu or nostalgia for them. So that's just not getting me going. It's the Robert Downey Jr. coming back, actually annoying me about Black Widow. I would prefer if he didn't. Spider-Man... 
I guess Spider-Man's always going to be Spider-Man, but will he work as well kind of removed from the characters that they've built around him now, as in the Avengers and stuff? It'll be interesting to find out. Blade, I'm definitely looking forward to. Very, very much looking forward to Blade. Uh, that's true. Well, like, that's an interesting slate of movies, but can we talk about the Sony slate of spider movies? Good <laughs> Lord in heaven. <laughs> well, I don't have the list to hand, but I remember seeing it, um, I think, about a week and a half ago, and it's just... These, they're just they're literally just plucking whatever they want from the catalogue and deciding, yep, this, we'll throw money at that. We're going to throw money at this and also this. Madam Webb is like, and <laughs> Helen Mirren or something. Like, <laughs> what, where did that come from? Who, what the hell? I got, there's going to, there's going to be sketches in like Keen Peel in the future that are going to have about that boardroom meeting when one guy just like was flicking through the pages of a Spider-Man ontology and everywhere mm. he stopped his finger, that was a character who went, there you go. They've got a film. Morbius, yeah, he's got a film. Craven, yeah, Granny's got a film. Silk, yeah, whatever. Black Sable or no, Silver Sable and Black Cat. Yeah, like, Silver Sable and Black Cat. But they're I mean, getting their could, own movies. Black Cat <laughs> hasn't even been introduced into a normal Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie yet. <laughs> but also, is the logic here because it's a Spider Verse? Then I guess poor Tom Holland and like Venom, they kind of have to, they have to keep cropping up here and there because that's that's what draws crowds in because of the just the chance that there'll be a glimpse of you know the main the main guy that the the, 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 A, the a-listers and what's interesting i think as well is because venom they made venom that that was their their testing round they're like this is our litmus test if we can make venom a success we are just unleashing this spider-verse that we that we we're putting together and they didn't disappoint in terms of the sheer ambition and i mean ambition is one word <laughs> Sorry, well, how about... Uh, it's just pure daft. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, look, I, I guess... I see Into the Spider-Verse 2 is there. That's a perfect place, maybe, to, to mess around with some of these more obscure characters and to do some different things with them. Why not take that advantage? But but given these characters, a solo film from scratch is madness. I, I gotta say, it is absolute madness. With no grounding and no footing, they've learned all of the wrong lessons from what Marvel have done. Uh, surprise, Sony. surprise. It's surprise. Surprise. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, I have no vested interest in any of these movies. Like, I mean, has, did any of them <laughs> pique your interest? Like, honestly, I I, I, I looked at the list and I, I, I just scratched my head. In, in But I don't, know, I don't know these guys enough to have any interest. The only ones I have a hint of outside of Venom is, I guess, the Sinister Six. To a, because, you know, they have, they've always been hinting at trying to bring that in. So Yeah, yeah. And that's um, because, again, they're just established villains. But uh, a Silver Sable film could be anything like there's, there's no defining features on what that could be like i don't know what it's supposed to be what they're planning like it, it's just, it's i think they're just literally throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks oh completely because they got all this mcu spider-man money so they're just like while well, this deal is hot let's just keep making some stuff this delicious mcu spider-man money <laughs> yeah that's what they're getting because it's obviously that's the mcu creative sort of team are like sort of steering spider-man in a, in a good direction so that they make loads of money and then they're just pumping it back into all this shite he's like i'd like to make that oh uh, which one sir uh, i didn't i didn't say i just wanted to make one <laughs> yeah. well i have a list of six in front of me and i want you to make all six yeah. the sinister six you could call them yeah yeah i was about to say I was about to... this is the code name for the movies <laughs> no no sir please they were the, they were the suggestions list sir please don't make us make these like, do you, do you, were you a fan of any of these characters when you were growing up? Any of these comic book characters? Well, see, a lot of them are new because even Silk and things like that are very newly entered into the into the Marvel canon, the Spider canon. I just, I, like I said, there's Spider Verse is there, and it has the whole multiple universe spiders and different versions of Spider people. 
use that as your testing ground, you know? Get really put your money into that franchise and build it up and bring new characters. And if anything tests well, then give them their own film. But starting from scratch with Madam Web, I can't even imagine <laughs> what they will do with that character. Like in the comics, that character so is a complete background. I'll tell Spider-Man a prophecy every 60 issues or something, and then I'll be out of it for the next 60 issues. I don't understand why they would give them a film of their own. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I don't know who they are. I don't really know the, the, these particular characters. I know, I know of Black Cat um, from Spider-Man, but she was she makes sense to me as just a supporting character in a that Spider-Man movie. They are movie. all supporting characters. Madam Web. <laughs> I mean, it's just because the name Web. Obviously, the, the marketing guy's like that one's. I don't care. That one's staying in there. <laughs> yeah, we're making this. I'm I'm coming across extremely negative here. Maybe like into the Spider Verse, they'll all be amazingly fantastic. No. But anyway, let's move away from this topic because it's boring me. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. I what? I, okay. Before we move out of the the comic book dimension, I do want to quickly kind of hint on other hints that I've heard and rumors about a one and only the Batman movie. Have you heard of this whisper? Um, is this whisper? a casting whisper? The casting whisper was that John Hill is 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 being brought on board, or is at least in talks, as the as the language typically goes, um, for the Penguin, um, in Matt and Reeves' Batman for movie. For an exorbitantly large amount of money, is what he asked for. Uh, John Hill. Yeah, that's what's been reported. Although he is, he won an Oscar, right? No, he was nominated. Okay, uh, nominated. For Oscar Wolf nominated. Wall Street, but um, don't know. He needs to get off his high horse. Moneyball. Did he not win one from Moneyball? No, he was nominated. Oh, okay. So was Brad. Yeah, no, I don't know. I think that's actually. I mean, the stature fits. He definitely has a Danny DeVito stature, like a short, squat, penguiny kind of a stature. He does. So, so physically, he can do it. Um, is that mean? Well, maybe it is, but it sounds accurate to me also. <laughs> so he would say about himself in one of the many roasts that he was on. So I, I wouldn't feel too bad. He is looking. Um, like lately, he looks really, really healthy and really good and really in good shape. So I'm not so sure would he want to go he back seems down. To, yeah, he seems to yo-yo as as a, you know it fluctuates widely in you know weight wise. And I don't know whether that's by design or not, but um, obviously He's tremendously unhealthy no matter what way you spin it. Bit of an old Christian Bale about him there. Yeah, well, now Christian Bale is doing it with significant purpose. I think just he goes through ups and downs in his ability to, you know, I don't know why we're getting into into his diet, but <laughs> um. It's it's an interesting choice. If you if you know what do you th- if you were to first of all penguin in a Batman movie, are we past that? Is that too wacky? Like, what do you do with that? But then the I mean, was the the Batman Returns one was not wacky in any way, shape, or form. It was suitably depressing and miserable, like the rest of the film. So. I guess oh, you don't. Yeah. God, so you don't I, I, have to necessarily make him be be wacky. But at the same time, is it so bad to have a little bit of wackiness with your villains? I mean, come on. It's called I the mean, Penguin. He's called the Joker. Let's 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 be a bit wacky, guys. It's okay. That's true. Wacky racist. Catch that pigeon. I I think what's catch interesting that penguin. Is that, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think what's interesting is I don't know why I feel like the penguin is the weird part in a story about a guy who dresses up as a bat. You've pointed this out before, and that's all I can think of now. When like you're like, which is just the guy. In a bat suit, <laughs> like that's that's the logic. But it's what, is, the, yeah, it's where the people find the. Well, look, that guy called himself the Riddler because he says riddles. That would never happen. Oh, but the guy just himself as a bat. That's fine. Yes. Well, I guess I see. I think Nolan did us a favor. He just cemented it as he he gave us enough logic in his trilogy that oh, we could see how he could get there. Um, 
enough but, logic that every other Batman film from now on is just like, yep, just watch those films to understand yeah, yeah, exactly. why he's, he's there. just strangled by it. I would not like to be making another Batman movie. Certainly not anytime soon. He- oh, I, and I would never cover the origin. I'd just be like, yeah, the origin is Batman Begins. Is <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it the same universe? That's not what I said. No, but it is canon. <laughs> as far as yeah, yeah, but it is 100% what happened in exactly the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, like the, I, I, it, Batman is interesting because he has those kind of characters. God, actually, yeah, the Penguin was scary in Batman Returns. Do you remember when he bites his nose? Yes, by Christopher Walken's nose, right? Is it Christopher Walken's nose or is it someone else? It's someone Walken's else. Christopher in. Walken is on his team, but it's somebody he else's is. nose he bites. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Christopher Walken is trying to sort of puppeteer him into you know, you know, running for office that kind of thing. And don't the but, Penguins give him like this weird eulogy at the end when he when he falls and then he dies in the water or whatever? They weirdly drag him into the water. They kind of waddle and, and like it doesn't look like they're dragging him, but that's what it's supposed to look like. That whole film is, I hate to say the word batshit crazy, but if, <laughs> if you watch it again now, it, it's it's totally insane. <laughs> it's totally insane. You know the bit where uh, Michelle Pfeiffer transforms into Catwoman? That's fucking yep. nuts. She is very good in that film, though. She's great. Yeah. She's great. And also, she kills uh, Christopher Walken by kissing him with a laser, a taser in, in their mouths. It's mad. It is Oh, she, yeah. She, she rips off the, um, the the high voltage wire and he turns into a skeleton, but she doesn't. It, Jesus Christ. <laughs> good God. Here's me talking about wackiness in films, by the, in Batman films, huh? Uh, it's all in jest, I guess. But what I would say... Yeah, what are your thoughts? I would definitely give Johnny Hill my, my vote for being good. I think he's a good actor. I think he can pull off a variety of different roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to see him in something like this. I, I think it would be interesting. I don't like the idea of him being a dickhead and trying to command loads of money because he's like a, on this big power trip. But definitely has the, the acting chops to pull this off. Um, but like, if the Penguin's in it, who else do you think is going to make an appearance here in this I remember the original plans for this film was to have him be in Arkham, so realistically they could throw in a few supervillains, but just make them be like behind a glass or something yeah, like yeah, a conversation. Cameos. I don't like that. I always feel that's kind of cheap. Or like, me, too, me too. It's literally like a highlights reel of like villains by just walking past a load of cells. It just seems a bit like lazy. Either use the ones you've got in that you've got the the the, the, the time for. Don't bother footering with just like a quick flash or a drive. You could hint at maybe one in like a dark corner. Like who was that in that cell that we never saw? That kind of thing. But you mean just like, walking past, like, like just going, hey, Killer Croc. Hey, what's up? Like oh, Woody Scarecrow. Harrelson as yeah. Carnage in the end of Venom when he's like, there's going to be Carnage. <laughs> oh, God. Roll credits. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I almost forgot about that. Let's not dwell on it. But yeah, I think it's interesting. We don't know what's happened with this Batman. It's been slated to be in the works for ages it's up and down over and back um, it's in good hands in that director he's made some very good uh, movies his Planet of the Apes stuff is super but I definite potential I would yeah. say but even Robert Pattinson I said it before I think he's a great choice and oh, yeah. surrounding him with people like Jonah Hill is a good idea actually a very there's, that's kind of like a generational shift into kind of this, yes, this exactly, newer age exactly, of, yeah. of actors which is I think actually quite interesting you put that so much better than I did <laughs> 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 that's why we work as a twosome buddy <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I'm stuck with you that's how, that's how it happens but yeah I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how that develops but it, it, we're really only getting snippets of like a little bit of a casting here then 
you know, a few months go by. So I think there's still really, I think there's a lot of being negotiated still right now. But I think there's I'm, a lot. There's hope. a lot to go in that film, and a lot to go about what it's about. I think they're, I think they're using reaction in a lot of this because I think that, that there's a whole thing about Robert Pattinson. Turns out hadn't even landed the role when the news was leaked. Mm. So I think they were almost getting fan reactions to both Pattinson and Nicholas Holt, and I think maybe the Jonah Hill thing might be somewhat similar to really are using reactions on this one to kind of see how it might turn out because again the pressure to make a batman film after the last few did you know ben affleck ones definitely didn't do as well as the christopher nolan ones so there is a kind of stigma around it now so so maybe that did them a favor maybe they're like oh well, the last one was crap so this one has to be better it's it's got to be better surely but watch yeah. them turn out maybe not to be but look i have potential in that film i, t- I have hope first i like matt reeves uh, those uh, Planet of the Apes films are very good, so I think he can pull off a film like this. Absolutely. And he seems to be invested in it. He seems to be taking his time, which I applaud him for. So more of that, to be honest. The pro- end product's good. I'm happy with that. So Next up, we do have to address this before we get into anything else, if you'll Go forgive for me. It. Jurassic Park. Ah, oh, man. We, our list is the very same. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. It's all these big ticket items. Do you want to take this one? So go on. You t- introduce... This is crazy. <laughs> Jurassic World 3 is soon to be released, um, and it's backed by uh, Colin Trevor, who did the first Jurassic World. After the absolute train wreck that was Jurassic World 2, I guess he's back on to direct the slightly less of a train wreck. And the big news is that he is bringing the original cast of Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern back. <laughs> that's your just golden impression i'm guessing right that's me trying okay i was like wow laura dern sounds old <laughs> yeah, she, she's got a terrible cough <laughs> now because I, I was thinking about this and after jeff goldblum's absolutely pathetic cameo in the last one when he just basically said jurassic some kind of jurassic world and that was Life, his entire uh, uh, piece is, find is a way addition to the movie yeah. Do you think this will be the same? Oh, God. I, I, this is just this classic case of, like, Colin Trevorrow has come back and been like, oh, listen, we're, I'm back and I'm directing because what I did was such a hit. Like, I don't know, like, they should have got me back for all three and I'm even bringing back the original cast. There's kind of a, a language being used as if we as a studio admit that the second one was bad, but you know that the first one was brilliant. The first one was very by the numbers and honestly kind of hokey. And a CG fest to the point, like, why does the first one look so much better? I'll tell you why. Because it's dark, it's rainy, you're only getting snippets of the dinosaurs, you only see them when you need to. It's thrilling as a result. Jurassic World is just like, let's make this mega dinosaur that has superpowers, and we'll just let it, it's just going to be battling for two hours. It's just fucking nonsense. This, But because, I guess, it's like, what, like where are they comparing apples to apples here? Well, they decided, well, our base plate is... We're comparing Jurassic World 1 with Jurassic World 2. And it Jurassic World 1 is better than 2, I guess, objectively. So that means we'll give the first guy another crack at it. So, like, what is happening? He was also fired from Star Wars. I know. Because he made a movie called um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And um, people said it was so bad it should have been called Extremely Long and Incredibly Boring. It was not a movie that was received well oh really it doesn't have a great i was about to defend him and say oh i heard it was creative differences so maybe i have a little bit of faith in him and now you've just destroyed my faith <laughs> <laughs> well done rob that was pretty was pretty harsh and cruel but i needed it well i wasn't targeting you specifically but i was going i was going for colin here and um, i'm not sure if dead inside <laughs> chapter one <laughs> rob says you're wrong um <laughs> 
I don't know what I make of this. I mean, obviously, adore that original cast, but they're kind of almost, I think they're precious to us because, you know, there's so much nostalgia attached to it. God, like, you just don't want to ruin this. I suppose I already kind of ruined Sam Neill by bringing him back for Jurassic 3. Ah, look, I'm kind of interested to see where this goes, but I don't know what to expect. Is the franchise too far gone? That that is my question, and I'm even asking this not just to you but to myself. I, how far does a franchise have to fall before we can finally go? All right, guys, it's time to call it quits. Is bringing the originals is dragging them back like the carcass of a brachiosaur? Is that going to change anything? Not really, because the film is still going to be about Chris Pratt and those other two random background characters who I forgot about from Jurassic World 2 and <laughs> potentially some clones, some clone people. I, I don't care about any of that. Uh, what I cared about was the whole theme parks, you know, aspect of it and the fake theme park and to make it look like a real theme park and that I can identify with. But now it's it's not a Jurassic... Pa- I know we, it's not a Jurassic Park franchise, Ross. It's Jurassic World. But it's so far removed and distant and weirdly enough, despite what I guess a lot of people seem to be, but I am less interested in this concept than I am in the kind of, they actually have dinosaurs in a, in a park that people can pay and go see and the whole commodification of, of, you know, natural resources and these things should be left in the wild, but they're not. And this is what happens when nature turns against you. You know, I'm, I'm more interested in that story than I am. Everything is cloned people and cloned dinosaurs and they're all loose in the world and blah. Yeah, no, it's it's lost. It's uh, see, the thing is, I guess they're just gonna keep making these because there's such a draw for the dinosaurs sort of side of things. Like, obviously, that's exciting, and I I agree that that's exciting. But the approach they've they've taken is they just make it. it it's it's become this very default American blockbuster kind of approach where oh, we need to do a lot of things in here that's like really slapstick, silly and unnecessary, and also like appeals to like you know teenagers and younger kids. Um, even though like you know they go watch any kind of an old dinosaur movie as long as it was relatively uh, watchable but dinosaur it, it, it completely alienates like an, a mature audience because and I, which I think is what they tried to do with the Jurassic World 2 but um, the guy who directed it is more known for his kind of dramas than I guess his CG block, blockbusters so um, maybe 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 he just wasn't right fit Jurassic uh, World 2 is a bad bad movie <laughs> I'm not bad, saying it's good. Bad movie. I'm just saying, you know, they tried. They tried one approach to Jurassic World. It was a couple of hits, a couple of misses in, in general across the board. Like you know, there was, I guess, some fun bits, but ultimately just tr- disguised in a giant dinosaur. Basically, the movie itself <laughs> was this superpowered dinosaur where it could turn invisible, so we'd we'd lose sight of what it actually was for a little bit, and then we'd come back with explosive action. You'd get distracted because you know you could. That's all you could see, and then it'd yeah, disappear yeah. again. That's a that's a good metaphor. You thought about that before you came on, didn't you? No, I didn't. I just, that, <laughs> honestly, as I was saying it, that that happened quite organically. That well, um, that's well done. If if that's true, that's well done. Um, it's because it's my my enduring memory is a weird one about Jurassic Park because the thing I think about is actually the logo, and that's what I love about Jurassic Park because that logo housed what was the story, the film that it is about again about making a brand and the product and all this, and that's what Jurassic Park is about. It's about twisting nature and resources to be a product that you shouldn't do, you know. And even the book had all that about there's lots of this theory in it and stuff, and it's very interesting. And that's just been lost. That that whole part of it's just been lost to the, rawr, there's dinosaurs loose, and now this one can go invisible. 
because it's I don't know a big bigger dinosaur mated with a bigger dinosaur yeah, mated with a, a crocodile and a frog. Yeah, because the frog DNA is important. Remember, <laughs> that is important. That is true. That's very important. Don't forget the frog DNA. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know what to make of this. I'm. I, look, it'll be interesting to see what, how they use the cast. Like, do we know anything about the story? Like, what, what's probably not. No, I think it's. I think well, all all that we know is following on from that. Have you seen the battle at Big Rock Short? Oh, what? That's part. Of that Jesus. Yeah. So basically, the dinosaurs are loose. They're in the world. People are aware of it. It's a few months after the last one, and there's actually a, a, a big time jump between the end of the second one and this one so obviously the world is going to be obviously trying to deal with the fact that there's uh dinosaurs loose i bet you it's like it's like they've they've, they've started to get a, a stranglehold on on uh on 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 the world at large it's not just re- reduced to an island they're actually starting to breed successfully all over the place and they're, they're, people are struggling to 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 um clamp down on all this all these dinosaurs popping up all over the place so it's like mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to reclaim the planet and jeff Coburn was just like yeah we must go faster must go faster yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to stop all these dinosaurs i reckon i reckon every line jeff Coburn says in this film is just going to be a callback to what ian malcolm said before well, yeah why else would you bring it back actually wouldn't it be amazing if like he brought stuff back about like chaos theory and it all came full circle and that this was always planned this six movie pantheon and that really the whole time jeff uh, goldblum's character actually predicted all the movies or certainly the ultimate outcome when he was trying to flirt with laura dern's character wouldn't that be amazing And was, it's all the drip of water off his hand all along yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that drip of water it like it does a flashback and that drip of water lands in it on, on like on like a bug that hits a leaf that does something to a dinosaur. It's like this butterfly effect. That grows up to be a director who directs Jurassic World's one true tree. <laughs> a, a butterfly effect 20 years in the making. That's to, to rip off, to rip off the, the poster. Either but, that um, or they should have dinosaurs running in an election to see who gets to, 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 to be the president of Jurassic World. <laughs> I mean, either of those things I would accept and I will accept nothing but those two things. <laughs> Right, enough Jurassic Park. Mm. Rob, have you heard about the biggest sensation in gaming? Well, are you on about an adaption of a, of a big gaming sensation? No. Oh, well then you do you, but your bit first. I'm talking about the number one oh, in the UK and Australia. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. The smash hit. <laughs> it is, of course, the untitled Goose Game. <laughs> of course it is. Rob, have you played it? Have you played no, it? Have I've, you seen it? Have you enjoyed it? I've seen a couple of snippets. I, it's funny because I have had this in my notes to bring up for like several weeks now, but I, we just ran out of time because it certainly wasn't high on my priority or something we needed to cover. And then, of course, and I hadn't mentioned this to you that I had it in my notes. And then, of course, lo and behold, a few days ago, I get a text from Ross out of the blue, and all it said was, I got it. I got Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> that was all I was physically capable of writing at the time. Though, okay, It's just so, so amazingly good. And what makes it even better is I found on Twitter, there's an interview with the makers and they were asking them. So basically in the game, you play a goose who, Do who goes around a, a quaint English town mucking about the place and being a general prick of a goose. <laughs> And like steal kid chase kids around until they fall over, tie their shoelaces together, take their glasses, 
swapped them with other glasses. <laughs> it's madness. That has to be the title of the episode. General prick of a goose. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. But th- the makers of the game were interviewed and they were asked about, so like, is the goose a hero or a villain? And this is maybe the best response I've ever heard to a question. And the maker said, the goose sits outside of human morality. They aren't causing trouble because it's the right thing to do. They're doing it because they're a goose. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that this is the world now. This is the, the level of discourse that we're having. <laughs> the morality of geese. Morality of geese is topical. It's like, you know, the the the, the, the news headlines are you know, trouble in Hong Kong, oh, morality of geese. <laughs> we're going What's right next? there. Huh? I like the way it's, it is, at least it's second to the Hong Kong protests. At least that's still a slightly more important. Than the I believe the hierarchy is... The hierarchy is democracy, goose morality, films. It's not the hierarchy of needs, it's the hierarchy of geese. It's <laughs> <laughs> Maslow's. There's my psychology coming to play there. Um, oh, no. <laughs> the game is freaking fantastic. It is an, a hoot or a honk, however you want to describe it. I mean, you can press space bar on the laptop, obviously, and he honks. And I mean, it was a good five minutes where I didn't move. I just pressed space repeatedly to hear him honk. Mm. Now, I have a penchant for geese, but that's aside the point. <laughs> <laughs> do you really yes you're partial to a good goose is what you're telling i am me. partial to a good goose <laughs> jesus christ it's it's like the best thing the way i can describe this game is that you it's it's like playing metal gear solid because you have all the same kind of stealth mechanics and you have to distract people and come up behind them and steal items and it's kind of a lot of the same gameplay mechanics just from an isometric perspective and you feel like you've done something, like in Metal Gear Solid, you feel so accomplished as if you've stopped a nuclear bomb or stopped some kind Jesus. of a threat. But what you've actually done is got some guy to spit out his tea, and while he spat out his tea, you stole one of his slippers and ran off with the slipper and put it into a pond. And you're a goose. I think, and you're a I think goose. what's brilliant as well is like, it's called Entitled Goose Game, and obviously that's because that's what they had as like a placeholder, I'd say, when they were trying to figure out what they were going to call it. And then they're like, this game is fucking daft let's just own up to it and call it untitled goose let's game. just go all the way let's just go all the way yeah jesus mary and joseph i just love goose game. that this has got the number one though like i mean you can imagine ea and all that got got the money with that, the money they pump into games and just call of duty 17 or whatever and then these fuckers come in and make a game called untitled goose game and it costs a fiver to make like oh my god I, I, it's like it's gotten rave reviews though hasn't it oh, it's just it's brilliant it's it's gotten pretty yeah it, it's gotten pretty damn good reviews it's like 86 percent or something uh on one of those um, review aggregator shite things i know Basically, i know it was pretty high metacritic it was it was doing well like pe- people were like well well impressed but just because it's original and you know you're, you're you're you enjoy the the you know when it's a cut above the rest it's just so simple it's so simple it's so fun and it's different and that's it's great especially at the moment when people are talking about violence and video games a lot that the game that's capturing the hearts of the world is about a goose walking around helping you know people getting locked into phone boots in fact one of the missions was get into the pub <laughs> you're kidding no i just have to hide in the box until like a woman comes over and lifts the box into the pub <laughs> how much is the game uh currently 11 euro on the uh Epic store. Untitled Goose Game. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear it didn't let you down. Anyway. I didn't get that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna, Maybe I'm that's not gonna, on me. Yeah, I'm not going to explain it to you. 
right. I, I, I might buy it, but I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna hold off for now. Um, but in that in that realm, that vein of games, the game vein. Um, have you heard the news? That untitled goose game got number one. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> it depends what it is, really. No, um, it's back again in the in the in the mix. They're always talking about it. Uh, it's been it's Uncharted the movie, the adaption of the the video game Uncharted the movie. It has yet another director, but one that will interest you. Travis the, Knight from Bumblebee, yes, right? Yes, he's uh, he's now slated to direct. Obviously, we've been here before. Listen, I'm being beaten around the bush with this bloody well, Uncharted hey. news. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not in a good way. Yeah, this is sad times. Is it's it a, still a sad bush? A young Nathan Drake, played by Tom Holland, can I ask? That's supposedly it's still Tom Holland. It's still the the one consistent thing attached to it at the moment because they want to go down the uh, the young route. But which why? I, 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 they shouldn't be making this movie in the first place. They're making a movie about a move about a game that does story and kind of movie and cinematics better than a lot of movies do. Yeah, that's this so is they're, true. So they're really challenging themselves by trying to make this work to begin with. So I guess maybe there's safety in hiding behind not only just the child version so you don't have to try and replicate and establish Nathan Drake that's as good at least as the game. But You almost can't equate them in a way because like, no, no, yeah, this, exactly. this is different. We're not, we're not doing that. And also, you're using the mega stardom of Tom Holland to draw in crowds and you know generate more buzz, I guess. So they're being tactical with that casting and that kind of, you know, targeting a younger Nathan Drake, which who does appear in the um, the third and fourth games. Uh, you know, like you get a couple of levels, you do play as a young Nathan Drake. Ah, okay. Then it so makes they have a little they bit have more sense. yeah they have ventured here before very briefly, um, certainly as you know the four game as a as a total of the four games go. But I I. It's funny because I remember reading years ago, this guy had had like written and was tweeting about this script that he'd written and he's delighted with it and it's the uncharted script and he can't wait he can't he just can't and I'd never heard of this guy. Then I looked up at his other works when I was like, oh my god, this sounds like it's gonna be shit. And he even said in his tweet like, oh, you know the studio like you know Naughty Dog think it's great. And then Naughty Dog immediately came out with a tweet saying, we have no idea who this guy is. Really? <laughs> they're like they're like we haven't we haven't seen anything. We don't know what this is about. We're not focused. We're not involved in this in whatever <laughs> he's funny. talking about. So like this this has always been you know in been it had that kind of production hell kind of scenario where it's just it's not backed by the the game studio. Um. So obviously you know that's a problem if you're trying to replicate the sensibility that they accomplish. So it's just they're just driving blind and just throwing directors at us. And if one is patient enough. This like I I don't know like this Travis Knight's gonna have to wait years before he gets this gig. But by the time they're ready to film it, Ho- Tom Holland will actually be 40. the normal Nathan Drake. Yeah, age, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe if they start filming some of it now, they have. Have it, you, you know, seen in the, bank. the uh, short film with Nathan Fillion? Yeah, it's great. It's very good. And look, Nathan Fillion, if he was younger, would be Nathan Drake. That'd be a dream casting. Yeah, but he's um, just, he is too old at this point, I think. Yeah, he's just just a bit slow moving, a bit lumbering, but also, you know, a little bit jowly, a little bit big around the edges, you know. But then I guess make a film where he's older. If you're going to make one where he's younger, why not make one when he's older? Actually, you could do it as, this is Nathan Drake kind of looking back and telling like a young version or like a, like, I don't know, a nephew or a son or whatever, like, or something, or like, a, like I don't know, an old friend. What's you know? This is what I used to do, and then it cuts like Tom Holland. Yes, like place. a chronology or something. You know what I mean? Because at yes. least he has, because he has such a resemblance to him as well. And come on, Nathan Drake, Nathan Fillion. Although, listen, I'm having trouble. F and D are after each other. Anyway, so we're gone. <laughs> that's, that a a that's a link. That's a link. That's listen. 
that's a stretch. That's a stretchy link. I'll take it. I'm struggling to look past the fact that now also Oscar Isaac looks like an, un- an uncanny level of Nathan Drake in this new Star Wars movie. So why not just ca- why not just you know bite the bullet and just cast Oscar Isaac? So you Nathan said Drake. this before on the podcast, and I was sitting in Ad Astra, and the trailer for Star Wars came on, and yet again I was like, that is so distracting how much he looks like Nathan Drake because but he's even got it. the bandoliers and the scarf and no, it's in the it's ridiculous it's identical like it is there's no way that somebody didn't go uh, guys but I'm you know, assuming Nathan Drake is here yeah <laughs> but I <laughs> who's this guy this is this isn't Paul Dameron yeah um, what are we doing here don't, don't worry about me it's it's it, oh I'm I'm Paul can you find this no 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 I got a gun though I think what's interesting is that J.J. Abrams actually is famously a fan of those games. So is this him with a little sneaky nod? Well, actually, that's not a sneaky nod. That's a an on-the-nose, <laughs> smack-in-the-face, here, this is Nathan Drake kind of a nod. He's like head-button, head-button naughty dog, like all the employees <laughs> at once, like. <laughs> Honestly, though, I mean, like, it, I, it wasn't just slightly within my, my eye line. It was, it was all I could look at in the trailer. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, what? That's Nathan Drake. I know. It's not, he's right there, like. It's him. It's 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 and, but he looks actually. I realized that I, it's it's distracting when you're looking at it as a Star Wars trailer and Star Wars sort of images. But when I took a step back, at one point I thought, if I just imagine him as actually as Nathan Drake, that actually that works well. It does. He'd be great. He, Oscar Isaac is a fantastic actor. Even in Ex Machina, if you've seen it, he is so good oh, in that film. He's he's the best part of that, despite the fact that everyone thinks it's the robot. He's the best part. He is definitely the best part in that film. De- definitely the best part. In fact, nobody um, talks about him when they mention it, which is really odd to me. Well, I love the fact that I think I was telling you this that uh, Donald Gleeson famously gets annoyed because whenever people talk about Ex Machina to him they only ever bring up the dancing scene where Oscar Isaac dances with the other android you know where he's he, he just like let's get yeah, let's, when he, let's yeah. dance and it's this amazing like 10 second sequence it's quite odd though <laughs> it's that's why it's so good it suits the tone but um, well wow we're really digressing here listen but that's Ross, okay Uncharted the, mo- Uncharted the movie are they actually ever going to make this thing? I mean, I would hope so. But the problem is, the longer it goes, the older the games get and the less relevant they become. Yeah, but also, do you need to leave it, like... I'm Not to not to brag, but... Um, the I don't know why I'm bragging on behalf of Naughty Dog here, but they wrapped up the uh, the original game so well in terms of how they... You know, what what they did with it, what they did with the character. How, so is, that, why, how is that possibly bragging... I, I, I bragging for them. They're, this is what they would say. I'm vocalizing it for them. Are you um, naughty dog as well as my uncle? <laughs> yes. That well, I, that's my nickname. That's his nickname at school. Oh, the Jesus, naughty dog. The naughty dog. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> oh, Robbie, you naughty dog. <laughs> Good Christ. But yeah, I don't think this is ever going to get made. We can we and, can live in hope because look, and, there and is if potential. It does, and if it does, it'll be just sort of hacked together like that Michael Fassbender Assassin's Creed movie. It, it'll be hacked together and completely forgotten about. But look, look, Travis Knight did a great job in Bumblebee. Super. I have faith in him because of that film and Kubo and the Two Strings as well. So look, if he's if he's attached, there is potential there. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Huge. Right, right, right. Before we go on to Ad Astra, I just want to talk a really, really quick. I just want to give a little quick shout out. This week, that Transformers Ghostbusters crossover I'm always talking about in the comics uh, ended. It's a five-part series. It's probably on Comixology for pretty cheap right now. And honestly, I just want to recommend it here. It's absolutely fantastic. It is written by a guy called Eric Burnham. And art is done by a guy called Dan Showing. It is so simple. There is no continuity required. You don't need to have any pre 
you know knowledge of either of the of the concepts or the franchises it is just what comics are supposed to be about it's fun it's entertaining i'm probably going to get you to buy it when it comes out in graphic novel rob just wanted oh. to set it really quickly because it ended this week five issues really quick really simple must buy must buy interesting i'm going to wrap up a my little new segment that i just wanted to mention it looks very interesting this 1917 movie that's coming out directed mm. by sam mendes the reason I want to highlight this is because they released a very interesting kind of production featurette. So it's not a traditional trailer. But they're doing it a lot lately. Terminator did the same, and there was some other film recently that did it too. I think it's become mm. like a new thing, a new fad. I think they're using it as well to like give a sense of, oh no, we're really working hard on this one. Not like those other movies. We're working on this one. Look at us go. We're making a movie. Yeah, baby. That's what that's what that's James Cameron, basically. You know the way he's so on the nose, like, no, I'm definitely back for Terminator this time. Yeah, this, is def- I, I, this gets my seal of approval. Please, James, please just stop. Yeah, God. <laughs> it's not working anymore, James. Sit down. Listen, you spent too long under the ocean. You yeah, don't know yeah you've got the bends. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but um, this looks really interesting because so like, I, the story is essentially you've got these these two young soldiers who have... Um, who've been told that they need to deliver a message uh, across like a war, war-torn uh, France, I'm thinking it is basically, in World War One, 1917 obviously, and they have to, if they don't deliver this message, basically 600 English soldiers are going to go into a, tra- into a trap uh, and mm-hmm. get killed. But they're doing it, this is a real-time story. So the movie unfolds in one take. And it's a big war epic, but like so, and it's all shot in like natural light and it, like, it's a, it's a one take film, is it? It's a one take film, following these two soldiers as they you know when they get the news and as they go navigate trenches and battle zones and work their way to deliver this message, which is incredibly ambitious. So it's by Sam Mendes, the guy famously behind American Beauty and somehow Skyfall. Um, it's a- weird, but great. Jesus Aren't Christ, right? American Beauty, Skyfall. That is a that is a an odd trajectory. I, it's funny, yeah, no, and it's great because Honest Trailers actually brilliantly called it out because they're like, you know, when they were introduced, when they're doing the Skyfall Honest Trailer, they were like, and now coming from a guy whose most uh, famous action sequence to date has been this, and it just cuts the bit in American Beauty with the plastic bag whipping about in the wind. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. That, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> it's genius. But look, he's he's kind of going for this really kind of, it's kind of it's kind of Oscar focused, I think, as well, which is always a little yeah. Bit the, it's the, definitely more auteur than than other war films. Shall but we say. sounds really ambitious. Like if you watch the featurette, a lot of kind of stuff around how they transferred like cameras from rigs to cars to handheld stuff all in one go. Obviously, they didn't do the entire movie in one take. It yeah, it's like a Birdman. They probably stitch it together. Exactly, it clever like stitching. But yeah. still, you know, they you know it's still done in such a way that lots of the moments are long takes which but, honestly i when you watch them they're very stressful if you're aware that it's one take i find it very stressful watching yeah so do i actually um you, you're just you're just aching for the cut it's like you're holding your breath or something i don't know what it is and when you think about the level of scale for a film like that compared to something like birdman which was purposely in a theater so it was very yeah, small and claustrophobic yes. and you know they could this is like big open scale you should, I, I implore people to watch the, the, the video it's it's really interesting um, and, and it's actually a great way for wanting this kind of movie because it could just strike you as some other random war film that could easily fall under the radar but if this kind of you know focus is a great way of they definitely need to they definitely need to play up that one one take thing because I didn't know that and I actually just thought okay it's obviously going for the um, Dunkirk vibe so yeah they need to play up that 
single track vibe yeah. I mean, they really need to play that up as in that's its defining feature like they've, uh, is I mean is there something in 1917 that's like I don't know there's something about a camera size or something lent or something they can maybe link in you know what I mean oh, and there's boy. not but <laughs> I don't know that, that's beyond my pay grade buddy I'm sh- I'm, I don't know well we, we don't get paid for this so it's definitely beyond our pay grade <laughs> <laughs> to be on that uh, 0.00 pay grade run, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, legal tender nonetheless. Right, Rob, I guess now we are going to go on to our movie review <gasps> of Ad Astra. The enemy up here is not a person or a thing. It's the endless void. Ad Astra. Or should we call it Brad Astra? Oh, that... Did you did you come up with that just on the spot, or were you thinking of that for ah. the last few days? <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one was brewing, actually. Oh, I like that. I actually quite like that. Uh, we okay, don't know great. what each other thinks of this film, by the way, and I'm dying to know what Rob thinks of it. So let's just get this out of the way. Rob, what did you think of Brad Astra? Ross, I always go first. What did you think of Brad Astra? Okay, I will go first on what I thought of Brad Astra. <laughs> I... Did not enjoy this movie too much at all. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't. I mean, surprise, <laughs> surprise, right? What a shock. <laughs> As I was watching it, I was thinking, this is not Ross's cup of tea. <laughs> but I have very specific reasons as to why I didn't enjoy it. It's not just a... Like, technically, it's not like a poorly put together film. It's not as if there's not good performances by some of the cast. But I have very specific reasons that I will go into after I find out whether or not you liked Brad Astra. I liked it. Did you? Oh, this is excellent. This is like the first time we disagreed on something. No, I, I, I thought it was great. Not like super. I just really enjoyed it. Um, you should have said not stellar. My... That would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's kind of that sort of near future sci-fi stuff is a genre I just like by default. So I was already just amped to kind of get a sense of their interpretation of that setting. Before even going in. So that already had me excited. So that was enough to kind of elevate it for me to begin with. So that's kind of, that's one of those personal taste things that kind of pushes it over the edge. To the, it's certainly into the, well into the positives for me. Um, I just, I, I liked how it was realistic and plausible, the setting. Um, I enjoyed Brad Pitt in it. I thought he was very understated. Very um, sort of uh, affecting in kind of how he went about it um, as he kind of progressed on this journey. I, I thought it was... From start to finish, it was co- now. We can we can talk about how wobbly the ending gets as as it gets there. But I, this is a movie I realized on reflection that you got you were supposed to enjoy the the journey of him getting from A to B. Um, because if you focus too much on how it wraps up, I think it'll definitely sour the experience for you. You'll you'll, you'll end up in a black hole of despair, quite nice. frankly. And um, thank you. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll, overall, I definitely, I definitely, I liked it. Right, so here's here's my take on this film. There's a lot of good in there. For instance, the way they show... So spoilers from here on, by the way, if you want to check it out yourselves, don't listen to the next mm. few minutes. Um, it, it, it has a nice world, as in it really sets things up very well, as in it's like basically space flight is now commercial. So like it's almost like an airport and you go through the security checks to get in a commercial flight to the moon. That stuff was excellent, really well done. Just okay. a quick comment on that as well, because... Uh... So Virgin Atlantic features as an airline or a space line in this movie. Um, they have their own aerospace division now called Virgin Galactic. Virgin but, Galactic. 
but genuinely where they're they bring up people up to you know sort of the upper orbits so that they can experience like weightlessness and stuff that's a real thing perfect that, so that, that was just like that, more Richard, of a more of a you know but it, what i just think it's i'm laughing at the fact that they reverted back to virgin atlantic it doesn't really make any sense uh, yeah, yeah let's go space. back hey well, it's like coke and you coke man Atlantic, yeah, but it's hilarious because like the, the whole shtick is that they already have this brand, but I guess that just shows you that that was very much product placement for just the regular commercial airline, which kind of bugged me because I was like, you guys have a fucking space line and you didn't use it. You've just ruined that for me now. I thought that was really good. And now that you've told me that, I like it less. <laughs> but also, I did enjoy the bit where your man goes, yeah, can I have a, a pillow and blanket, please? And it cost $125. <laughs> that I did love. And like the way it doesn't focus on any of it too much is good as in it's just the normal yeah this is the normal world exactly it's just like this is the process and like you just have to accept that this is kind of our world and like they literally just barrel through it you got to give them credit for how quickly they establish they don't give you a specific as to what year it is which is ideal because that means you don't question how far ahead it would have to be to be at that point you just know that um all right well you know it's a bit it's sometime in the future not too far though and the reason that's why i think this is this really kind of stands out as kind of a more interesting sort of a sci-fi movie in recent years is because all the tech feels realistic and familiar like it looks like just you know just slightly advanced sort of say nasa technology the way the, the rockets kind of dock and how the, some of the space stations look and the equipment and the gear and everything it looks very familiar which i think people can kind of they can l- latch on to but interesting enough doesn't... that's actually going to lead into one of my criticisms that i had and why i was even thinking about it like because the world is so far advanced in some of the ways, like they're going to the moon and it is all commercial and everything's set up like a normal airplane, an airline flight. But then the problem is their love, obviously, for space and NASA and all that came in a bit too much where once they go on the moon, they still use the old-fashioned moon buggies to drive around. And if we're to believe a world that's advanced so far as to have commercial spaceports on the moon, surely they would have, by that stage, have come up with a more technologically advanced and better mode of transportation than those old moon buggies but they, they, they weren't old ones those things could fairly chuck along and I, that actually i thought was it was a highlight for me that entire moon sequence to be honest mm. i thought it was spectacular very realistic extremely realistic the way that they, they, there's pirates in the moon so they have one kind of for context there's kind of one sort of key big space station and then obviously there's a dark side of the moon that they use as like a launch pad into deeper solar system kind of space. So you, you have to commute there, but because obviously you can't, you, there's no way to sort of live outside. Oftentimes they'll just have little buggies and you just hop on in a space suit and, and commute that way rather than having this self-contained vehicle. Now Ross's complaint, I guess, is that <laughs> if they can, if they have a space station on the moon, why do the cars not have roofs, basically, is your logic. Well, no, but why are they... <laughs> no, in case it rains, space rain. No, but it's more that it seemed like that was a love letter to, like, the moon landing and the way the moon landing technology looks, but then some of it Maybe, was advanced and some of it wasn't. Now, this I kind of like... I, 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 that, did, that, didn't, that didn't sort of... I didn't find that, like, that was a jarring kind of... I, I want to highlight... between the, how they got there. This and, isn't why I... Like, you know, the, this isn't why I disliked the movie. I'm not trying to be, like, because of that one issue, this is why I didn't like the movie. Mm. It was just a thing that crossed my mind and I felt it interesting you that you brought it up. But the main reason that I didn't like it, and maybe you didn't feel this way, but I did, was that it, it's as if somebody just watched, like, 2001 Space Odyssey, um, Sunshine, Interstellar, and gravity and went i want a film that's like all those films and that's exactly what they got they got a film which had a flavor of each of the films so it had the 2001 kind of zany weird philosophical aspects 
it had that kind the of existentialism. It yeah, even the had the existentialism. monkeys. Even had the monkeys. <laughs> that really did. There's a lot of heavy-handed references like that. It also had the gravity kind of next escalation to the next escalation. And every time you think it's safe, another escalating feature would happen that would make the situation a little worse. And it stayed with the characters that kind of got their way through that. But then it also had the sunshine kind of, oh, we're at a point of no return moment, which I've talked about numerous times before. Um, and then obviously had the interstellar, the way the shots looked and the way the, the space narrative kind of looked was very much like interstellar. And I'm okay with that as an idea. But the problem is with that is that it had all the pieces, it had all the building blocks, but it just didn't understand why it had them. So things happened mm. in a certain way and things were framed in a certain way and all the right shots were there. But it's like the film itself didn't understand why it was using them or why it needed them, but only that it did need them to be like one of these space films. That's definitely an interesting perspective. I didn't get a sense that it was necessarily robbing... Like, for example, Interstellar, I don't think there's anything particularly unique about that except for the that final dimension bit at the end. I know, I like, like if you're doing sort of space the shots... <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's the only thing unique about that one. I don't think I don't think it really like how it looked looked pretty like interstellar other than, than other than I guess it's they're both sort of realistic. Well, there was um, a scene you know where he goes to land on Mars and he takes over controls and the ship is spinning and I mean I I could almost hear that line. Oh, the Tars! Come on, Tars! <laughs> in the back of my head as it was happening. And the fact that you recognize that just there now too highlights my point. Oh no, you were you were leading into it. I knew what you were you were going for there. I didn't think about that when I was watching it though. Um, I don't I, like I there, definitely I think there's lo- lots of nods to 2001 for sure. But I mean, so Interstellar blatantly admitted to being inspired by 2001. So like, if you're you like, all of them are going to be influenced by particularly one like something that's that landmark. So I just think that there are similar elements between Interstellar and this. Um, to an extent, gravity. Even actually, to be honest, the end, the very end, was kind almost of had a similarity identical actually, to gravity. To the, well, it's more like the Martian. I thought with where he's like stranded and he needs to figure his way out. That's that's um, there, there's no, another one for you to throw in the Martian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like they're always going to have that. They're always going to draw on like those kind of elements because that's what it's like to be in space. I don't think that's to the detriment of the movie. I just think that that's kind of they're the, they're the interesting things to play with because it's a vacuum. They're weightless. The conditions are extreme, so you use those environmental elements to kind of make those challenges interesting, and like all of those sci-fi movies are going to feature that, which is why you saw those parallels. Yeah, and but I, like you could you could you could say though, Interstellar kind of brought bits from Gravity or The Martian pulled bits from both those movies, and you know vice versa. Whatever one just comes after because it's harder to. I think the core of this was more about getting a sense of. I think they did a great job, for example, of really emphasizing um, how much time is passing. Yes, that and I like, will agree. You know, with. each was, stage yeah. is far, far more extreme and, and more removed as from they the go next from one. stage yeah. to stage. And he's becoming, and even they play with that cleverly because he, you know, you know what Earth is like. So you get to the moon. The moon actually kind of has some familiar elements. It's actually basically a tourist trap. So it's got even like branded chains and you know, fast food places and shops and things like that. I thought that was interesting. Then it goes to Mars and then it starts becoming a little bit off. It's just, it so alien. It doesn't so feel like alien. home. It feels alien. So, and so you're moving, the further and further you get away, the further it's it has that familiar feel of being like back on Earth. And then obviously by the time you get into, he's traveling to Neptune where he's trying to go, like he literally, the isolation nearly cracks him. Yeah. So I thought they did a great job of, it was the journey I think that made it, the way they broke it out 
and kind of segmented it, I thought was really interesting. But which and, I, and I didn't feel like was interesting. Uh, you said the segments bit there because that's something else I was going to say, and I again I'm going to use to its detriment here because it almost felt like a video game using checkpoints, as in right, I need some kind of action scene because people are maybe not enjoying the journey. So I hit a checkpoint and I'll throw in a random action scene that then doesn't necessarily impact the rest of the story or the next piece. So even the moon buggy chase didn't have much of a bearing on the rest of the movie. And the very same thing, when he just before he goes to Neptune, there was another action scene that kind of didn't need to be there. But I, I don't know, it just felt like it had to have a certain amount of them to fit to be like, okay, it's still a Hollywood film. Everybody can still enjoy it. So it had to have pieces of that puzzle in there. Yeah, I guess, but they have to make it interesting to a certain extent, or else, like, why are you watching it? That's true. Like, I guess <laughs> you could argue, like, like all, like, if if a movie is going to be that thoughtful, you need action sequences to punctuate. It. And I thought they were interesting because there were things we had never seen in a sci-fi movie before, like a moon buggy chase that was that realistic. I like you've never seen anything like that. And I guess they were trying to explain, like, despite maybe. Uh, let me think, but you know, despite maybe how how technically advanced we are. We're, we're still, still going to end up commercializing, commercializing everything and we're still going to be like, it's going to be just the same deal up on the moon or whatever yeah, else. It's like the moon is like the Mad Max, basically, of the of, of, of art. Like. It, because it's just, and like, it's just, it's almost just a microcosm of what happens on Earth anyway. So they're saying, well, look, if we did start to get pretty established on the moon, ultimately people will be fighting for territory anyway. Yeah, the same patterns. Or that's what they're suggesting. So that, like, that's why, so they were kind of trying to emphasize that by having that, car chase and I obviously was definitely indulgent but like I thought it was really interesting I thought it was a really interesting action set piece that they had in there um, because of the the sort of the, 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 the lower levels of gravity the fact that obviously they're still in space there's no there's no noise so there's just kind of these pulses of like more like waves of sound it's like it, it kind of passes like the astronauts and stuff and just obviously there was a very convenient ending to it because they just span off a crater and landed ludicrously but I mean the whole film <laughs> had like every end into more situations was ludicrously convenient the way they all just happened and they seemed <laughs> it was very much a move on don't think about it situation even with the monkeys and that whole space station part very much a we just need an action scene don't reference it again <laughs> move on it was just there deal with it the, the, the monkeys bit was actually the most random part for me oh, completely I, insane. I, I was like it was unsettling because like they they um Basically, they're this is <clears throat> in between the moon and Mars. They come across an empty uh, or uh, uh, a space station that's doing animal testing for some reason near Mars. I mean, you don't and know I, any of this, by the way, until it happens, and it's never explained exactly. again. <laughs> but they're like, there's a mayday signal anyway, so they go and explore it, despite Brad Pitt's um, insistence. Uh, you know, resistance. You know, like he did, he doesn't want it to go that way, and then of course they explore it, and like there's this bit where you know it uses the there's just an astronaut shaking. And you're like, what's 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 attacking him? What's happening? Is he it's suffocating? Because an like, they keep mentioning extraterrestrials. Yeah, you think it's gonna be they keep teasing you with this alien idea and um which we'll get to in a sec. Uh and then it's just a monkey going mad. And I never think to myself though, like that was violent actually and gruesome. That Very gruesome. Um But the <laughs> I just after he got back with the, the captain or they shot him into space or whatever they do with those dead bodies, I was just laughing at the fact that Wait, so it said there was 26 souls on board. So yeah. The monkeys eat 26 people? And it never... Two monkeys? A, never explained, never went back to them, or never went, maybe we should check for the others, or like how all 26 were killed by these two mm. monkeys. When that, one that Brad Pitt... That was, yeah. Yeah, that, that bit was weak for me. That Well, I enjoyed the tension up until that point, but then I was like, ah, oh, that was a bit... And then they just kind of left, and I was like... 
really what it was trying to they were using that actually was to demonstrate how cool he stays under pressure and also to create this sort of dynamic between um him and the other guy who inherited the captaincy of that ship they yeah were i know but it was, i mean it was there's elements of that like really they were actually just using those as um action sequences to pitch forward actually that those character dynamics as opposed to the action sequence actually having any meaning which yeah because I, I mean they'd said about 20 kind times, of cheating yeah they said about 20 times in the film your heart rate has never gotten over 40 beats 80, per minute it's I'm 80 like, yeah he never goes over <laughs> alright guys come on that's that's unnecessary <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, la- the last um, thing I guess I will say on it and this is where I, my, my I won't say non-enjoyment in the film but why I wouldn't rate it a classic or why I was I took the view what I did is that those films like Sunshine, those films like Gravity, those films like 2001, Interstellar, all of them, they lean into a certain style based on what the story is. So again, uh, Gravity leans into that very much an emotional message because she's thinking about her daughter. That's kind of important. So it's about a character study for her. Um, Interstellar is about the relationship of the father and daughter and the love. So the story kind of, so they each commit to a certain thing. Uh, Sunshine is more action packed because it's that's the nature of the story, and they're trying to reignite the sun. Or disaster. Yeah, disaster. Kind of so each of them can lean into one and kind of commit down that route. Whereas this film tried to have everything. It tried to be a bit of everything, but because of that, it almost lost its own identity and didn't get to commit to anything. And I've said it a hundred times about how I'm very interested in that point of no return. Like, it happens in Interstellar, it happens in Sunshine, and I wanted it to happen here too, where the character loses their way back home, shall we say, and then we follow their moments after that, and that's very interesting. And here, the most convenient thing in the world happened, where despite the fact it took him ages to get out there and all these different trials, he just flies back, and all of a sudden he's back on Earth somehow. And I'm like, come on, come on. (laughs) Because I think the focus here wasn't about, whether for right or wrong, the focus here was more about um, him letting go of his dad. Yeah, it wasn't about, it's all like, metaphorical. It's, 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 it's exactly. So it really wasn't supposed to be a disaster movie or like this him getting lost in space and left to deal with it. Because like the second he meets up with his dad, you know his dad is not coming back. You'd know for a fact. Oh, completely. Also, he's a mass murderer. So that that that's a given. I don't know why he'd want to. He was right to disappear into space. Tommy Lee Jones, if <laughs> to be specific. Um, the end bit was really heavy-handed on the, the metaphorical bit that it was the end for got wobbly for me i was really enjoying the journey up until that point i thought it was interesting i just liked the mechanics of how he got there and how he dealt with them i thought he was an interesting character and i, I liked how the worlds were kind of different each time they arrived but then when we get to this and obviously the, the whole story is initiated by this his journey is triggered by like this this electromagnetic pulsing that's happening from neptune that apparently his dad's spaceship is causing um, that's never explained. That that just turns out to be MacGuffin, of course. Oh, the whole of time. course. Just yeah, to, I mean, yeah. And you get there, and he just blows it up. So okay, whatever. Which I, the other guys were trying to do anyway. So why did he try to stop them? Um, I, he just wanted. I think he wanted to get to. I, he, I think the logic is he just wanted to get to see his dad. Yeah. He wanted well, to see if he was killed all three alive. of them in the process. So good luck with that. <laughs> I thought of that when I got back down. They all died because of him. Because <laughs> he's an idiot. And he bung. Although the, the rest of the film also, at every stage, every person he met was useless at their job or failed miserably. And he succeeded every single time. I also was very much thinking that the whole way through. That he seemed to be the only competent person in the universe. Oh, I suppose during the action sequences, in the, in the moon boogie chase, he saves the day a little, where he just kind of powers through. I suppose I suppose the idea is that he's really well trained, and actually the three that he he doesn't really kill them. They sort of he boards the ship <laughs> yeah. and they kind of kill themselves. 
because they just panic. Have you seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Uh, no. It's a spoof horror film. Um, and I, I know the I know the yeah. I know the movie, but I haven't seen it. It was very much like that, as in they're all dying in, in increasingly more comedic ways by accident <laughs> when the two guys aren't actually doing anything. And that's all I could think of as well when it was happening. Like, what's next? I, I, like he's just trying to he's just trying to get to his dad. Is the logic a, a very expensive trip? Um, I I I actually I have to say it, I, it was understated. But I actually enjoyed the moments between him and Tommy Lee Jones when they did reconnect. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like they, he's he hasn't seen his dad in thirty years, and all they just go is, "Hi, dad." There's something about it that kind of was like, I guess these two guys are just so worn out and committed to this that maybe that is probably how that conversation will go. Yeah, I agree. With just that. the two of them, all, all, all the way out at night. Like that, I thought that was. And it was even like a, he just says, and Tommy Jones is like, I don't even love you anymore. And there's no recoiling from Brad Pitt. There's no big emotional no, outburst. Because he knows. Yeah. And the two of them are just so spent at that stage that they've got, there's no yeah. emotions left to use. Like, um, it was, I think it's interesting. I think I did, what I took from that was that Tommy Lee Jones made a point to say it because he felt like he had to, which I think says a lot about, did he really mean it? Then he, he has, he's like trying to make it abundantly clear. He's like, oh no, I would have always done this. And Brad Pitt literally just wanted to be there in person to hear him say it. Yes, like so that could, whole yeah. journey really was about that. That's what. That's why he kept aggressively pursuing it, despite the fact that obviously it was under disguise that he was there to just save the day. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, by the time he's leaving Mars, he's hijacked a ship. So <laughs> I you can the tell ship where his killed all the crew. <laughs> <laughs> I still thought Unbalanced was interesting. Um, oh, I knew it was going to be this like the second they were out in space. I knew there was going to be this like let let me go moment, and that's the big metaphor. Of just oh, like you yeah. need to let me go now. <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think everybody could tell that although again mm. why wouldn't he have just crawled out the ship yeah. any other time so, listen <laughs> yeah i'll agree the movie wasn't groundbreaking but i thought it was i enjoyed like i'm saying i really enjoyed the journey and the world building right up until we got to neptune and then i was like oh that was a bit of heavy-handed with the MacGuffin part didn't really explain that at all then they literally just cut the idea is there any life anywhere else nope no life don't worry I've about that everywhere. and you're back on earth and everything's fine because they kept teasing that logic and I guess that didn't happen but and I kind of like that I was because I was a little afraid that it was going to be he gets lost in space and an alien brings him home then there's aliens yeah yeah. at least they didn't go, they kept like they literally kept it that realistic and that, but then it, like it picked, peaked again for me I, I enjoyed them just kind of reconnecting weirdly as like, he's putting him back in the suit like this guy's been by himself for like decades really scary Um, and then it just kind of fizzles out the movie does kind of fizzle out there's nothing kind of groundbreaking as he as he finishes um but up until that point i was literally on board with brad i was the other captain <laughs> well that's fine i accept that look it wasn't it wasn't my type of movie i would much prefer one of the other four kind of sci-fi movies i mentioned it's not terrible it i guess it was worth to watch but it was just it was just not for me um mm. maybe we'll run a poll or something like that afterwards on twitter and see what people think if they for agree those with have me. seen it yeah for those who've seen it and if they agree with me or agree with you yeah, we could do like a, would you, would you recommend it? Yes. Yeah. No. Right, well, I guess that's enough of uh, Brad Astra. Um, <laughs> How about that for a time? So, Rob, <laughs> we're at the end of the show and you haven't gotten anything yet. Oh, well, so, oh, yeah. Sorry. I was even the real, okay. Let's take a crack at this. You gotta, see, you, gotta, you gotta shout it loud, buddy. I gotta say it, I gotta say it. So, I gotta come clean here and admit that um, said it to me, I did, nothing jumped out at me. So, I didn't in- initially understand the reference. Okay, so I'm going to read it back to myself just for see if it, it triggers anything. It's the time. 16 months can get you used to anything. You just lose track. I won't lose track again. <sighs> <laughs> it's such a good quote, though. 
uh, I can't remember specifically what, that, what that's from. I'm, assume, I'm gonna just say, is it? Oh, uh, ergonomic. Oh, what could it be? Let's just go with um, uh, Interstellar. Is it oh, Interstellar? it is not Interstellar. Fuck it. It is said. Sunshine. And it is our very own Chris Evans. Shite. Who's Mace. After a, he's a fight with uh, Kappa, which is Killian Murphy's character. And afterwards he says, he's in isolation or talking to him. He's like, it's the time. 16 months, you can get used to anything. You just lose track. I won't oh, lose track It didn't again. jump out at me. It and didn't jump out at me. he's such a badass for the rest of that film. He's just so good in it. Mm, I think what's interesting is when you said that, I was like, well, that doesn't ring a bell. The only thing, I, obviously it's playing with time, time passing. The only thing I could think of was maybe something like Interstellar. I thought we might, because I thought we might get to that. That is a or good, maybe, that is a good uh, line of thought, actually, now that I think about it. Because all I was thinking of was, you know, the bit where like they leave your man and they go to like the wave planet. Ah, uh, yes, yes, and, yes. And they come back and like they've only lost a few minutes, but he's been there for like like 12 years by himself or something crazy. This is further proof <laughs> that Rob thinks things true a lot more than I do. <laughs> 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 a lot more clearly but I, I, I couldn't piece it together though there, were nothing, no, there was nothing firing no synapses That's firing two in a row that we didn't get now oh jeez it's happening again <laughs> <laughs> right Rob before we go to the last segment of the show sure we of course have oh, to God, do our new segment Oh God! Right, this is gonna. <laughs> That's so tough. Oh Jesus Christ! This is gonna be horrific. By the way, I am nowhere near as prepared as I was last week. Right, Rob. Oh God! Are you ready to hear this movie tune on the tin whistle? Yes. All right, tune those ears, buddy. I tune my <sighs> whistle. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Go on, fire away there. How to train your dragon? What's that? How to Train Your Dragon. Boom! Got it again, Rob. You are either good at this or I am very good at this. Neither of oh, that is true. Let's just... <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. That uh, was okay, fair. though, I listen, I listen... Uh, you did well. I listened to that music a lot, actually. So that that's... I'm very... I'm very familiar. I'm going to be honest. I, I did pick it because I knew you liked it. Um, I'm trying to get I'm Harry Potter and a few other ones as well, but they're very difficult to learn, so... <laughs> <laughs> so I gave up. That's what I did. Essentially, yep. Yeah. That was that was very good though. You got that very quick. I had a few more bars. Mm. I'm not going to do them now because they get ex- extra. Do you want to give us? Do you know? Do you want to do a little little, little flutter? Give oh us, man, give us... these get very difficult. All right, I'll give it one try. Yeah, that was not as good as I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! We got there, Rob. We got to just the last segment of the show. <laughs> yes oh god that's right so it is time of course to give next week's ross fact rob fact mark hamill's favorite fact oh wow excellently delivered very clear actually it's weird hearing it said normally i have to say i know even when i was saying and i'm like i feel weird about this i'm probably going to edit that out and put in your voice on it anyway so it's fine All right, buddy, what's your one? Right, my one, because it is October, so it's going to be like Halloween-y themed, and obviously I love Ghostbusters, so it's another Ghostbusters one. So Ross Fact this week is the porn star Ron Jeremy has a cameo in the original Ghostbusters. (sighs) 
that's now how I'm punctuating each, each little bit. Um, okay, interesting. Mine this week is, the, 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 the rub fact this week is, in the movie, and this is kind of on the line of porn star, um, pubic area, toilets, there's the con- there's there's the connection. Okay. Grim. Um, <laughs> That's grim, very yeah. grim. In, in the murk, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, uh, in the movie North by Northwest, it's the first US film to feature a toilet flushing. Ross is not a fan of Ross, but Mark Hamill is a fan of the show. I just realized, I think your first Ross fact, Rob fact, was also to do with a toilet flushing. <laughs> You're <laughs> <It> obsessed. Was... <laughs> Definitely. Oh, no, it was the Star Trek one. Yes. About yes. The, the noise. And it was true. <laughs> if, that, if that counts for anything, well, we're trying to throw people off here. Rob. We, we did finally it. did it. This is a bumper long episode, and you know what? It is. I'm just going to pretend that we meant to do it, and it's because we just reached over 600 subscribers on Twitter. So it was all planned all along. 600 subscribers, followers, man. Whatever. I'm new to this world. Okay. <laughs> That's just me being a dick. You can ignore that part. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight that part. <laughs> the episode's gonna be called Rob being a dick. <laughs> Fair. Well, listen. Anyway. So we did it. Ross and Arun, do you want to tell people where they can locate us around the world? You can find us on pretty much everything. Uh, an Irish one <laughs> called yeah. Go Loud Now. SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, also, I really want to highlight a good one called Podchaser. Um, I also want to say a big shout out because we're now part of a group called Pod Nation. And that list, that there's, oh, there's loads of podcasts. We're one of them. It is now trending on the site. So it's the number one list for people to click. And we're part of that, which is pretty epic. So hi everybody who helped out love, with that. We love being clicked. We're everywhere. We're we're on your phones, under your beds, around the corner, up the street, all that good stuff. You can Jeez. just shatter names. Up the street. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I find that creepier than under the bed? Like we're just we're just down the street. Jesus. Christ. Uh, yeah, we also have a website. Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're definitely going to go to it now. It's called upthestreet.com forward slash Ross and Rob. <laughs> there's a website there's an email address um, it's capunderstands.com or the lads at capunderstands.com they'll get you there what else do we do uh, we uh, no that's it we do twitter polls we dab our website there's lots of stuff guys give us feedback check us out let us know what you think let us get involved we do like poster stuff on twitter we do comic panel things lots of stuff and there'll be lots more stuff to come so thanks everybody mm. for listening thanks whoever's Indeed. stuck around for this long of this extra bumper episode we've had fun i've had fun i had a good time and it probably is finally a bit interesting that we can have a movie that we uh, disagree on so it so we can we can divide opinion as is our preference if it's any consolation i listened and took on board to absolutely zero of what you said and my position <laughs> is still the same no, once you said you didn't like it, I had in my head decided I'm going to immediately disagree. You like, t- immediately. You had an Air Force sheet of like all these criticisms and you just had to like ball it up and throw it in the corner. <laughs> and the criticisms weren't, weren't even about the movie. They were just about you. That, that's fair. Criticisms. <laughs> he smells. He sounds funny. He doesn't actually live up the street. Much to my uh, disappointment. <laughs> I thought when I was moving here, you were going to be up the street. Well, that, that <laughs> was a hope. Look, Rob, we're done. We finished the episode. All that we left did. is to say... I've been Ross. I've been Rob. I've been Rob. I, I understood, understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, oh yeah. Maybe maybe we would find it because I got cut off halfway. That is Captain's Day. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck.